quick question for you. Hey, let me ask you something. Can I ask you a question? Can you dig it? Yes, guy. Can you dig it? Yes, guy. The man with the words you've been dying to hear. Yes, guy. This is the Yes Guy Show with Jim Taddy on TSN 1050. Can you dig it? Oh, Yes Guy. Welcome to episode 75 of Yes Guy, the radio show at TSN 1050. Jim Taddy and Perry Left go with you. Perry, how are you this week, sir? Doing great, Jim. How about yourself? Very good, and, and very interested with our, our guest, Greg Harrison. Goldie Mask fame will be by very shortly. Tim Harini from the F1 and IndyCar um, Analyst Department at TSN, and Caleb Dahlgren uh, from the Humboldt Broncos bus tragedy, a survivor, and uh, just a resilient story, to say the very least. And, of course, yes, guy, no guy at the end of things. Looking for an experienced real estate agent, Charles Park, managing broker, REMAX West Realty Brokerage, has 27 award-winning years of real estate experience. So looking for the highest level of knowledge, experience, and service, put Charles Park in your corner. Visit charlespark.ca or call him or text him at 647-292-8886. Servicing from Hamilton to Kingston, from Toronto to Muskoka, Charles Park will not be outworked by anybody. And introducing Fox 40's new premium whistle, the Fox 40 Titan, in a sleek titanium body. The Titan emulates the authentic sound of the Fox 40 Classic, available now on titanium, gold, or matte black. Go to fox40shop.com. Yes, number one, goalie masks. Greg Harrison. Greg, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm good, Jim. And you, too? Uh, we're, we're doing well. So, I mean, tell us, this goes back to, and, and if you have a certain vintage, uh, the Terry Sachuk mask was just, uh, you couldn't take your eyes off it, could you? No, it, it was uh, something that really got me interested in in masks and in wanting to be a goaltender as well. I just, uh, there was something about that look of the mask and, and watching Terry play. I, I, I played like him. I, I stood like him, uh, later adapted my style to be a lot like Roger Crozier, but Sawchuck's mask was the one that got me interested in making masks. And even the first few that I attempted, which were totally off, but, uh, the basic shape and the whole configuration was there. Uh, it was a copy of Sachuk's because there wasn't a lot around, you know, at that time. Greg, I'm curious to know what you think about how the evolution of Goldie Mask and specifically from an art aesthetic point of view has progressed. Uh, as far as the design or as far as the artwork on it? More, more about the artwork. Uh, I'm not a fan. To be very honest with you, uh, when I did the masks, I, I always wanted to do a design that would be distinctive and in many cases try and carry the design through with the goaltender wherever he went. For instance, Felix Potvans, I did all of his masks and basically it was once I established a, a set theme for it, uh, I just adapted it and changed the colors and changed the sides of the mask and a few minor details, but it still was identifiable as, as the cat, as Felix. And um, it started uh, as a design that was uh, basically a, an adaptation of one of the characters from the show Cats. That's how I started it. And then I, it evolved from there. But I always tried to make a mask, no matter what it was, first of all, it was done tastefully, that it was... Uh, like initially I'd put a few logos on the mask with a design, but then I realized that I could never do anything with the images until I did my own creations. And then I started to do that 
so that the NHL couldn't try and take it away, which they did anyways. Um, but uh, uh, the designs, I wanted them to be seen from the stands. Uh, most of the angle that the, the uh, games were shot was three quarters over the top. And that's the way the mask was seen. So I wanted a mask that could be seen from a distance, up close, and be identifiable from the stands and on television and identifiable as the goalie himself. And that became his sort of moniker. Uh, nowadays, there are some very talented airbrush artists out there, but they miss the point. And I, I don't know that they can be held accountable for it. I think a lot of it has to do with what the goaltenders tell them they want on it. And I never, only in one case that I ever allow the goalie to tell me exactly what he wanted. And I didn't like it when it was finished. Um, I, I created my own designs um, that I felt would either go with the team, go with the city, uh, go with a nickname of theirs or an interest of mine combined with all, all of those factors. And, and created something that was uh, memorable and, and being, being able to be recognized. Nowadays, there's so much stuff on it that even when they zoom in and close, you can't see what the hell it is. And like a lot of, I've seen a lot of times they've, um, like uh, the goalie in Edmonton now, he's got the front half of what I did on Grant Pierce's mask, the guy in St. Louis. Hosa, I think is his name. It was basically Huso. Uh, yeah, his mask is a copy of another mask that I did a long time ago. Uh, they've used Curtis Joseph's St. Louis mask, uh, Philly mask. A lot of them are going back and copying what I did or, or portions of it. Uh, but the heavily airbrushed without a lot of definition it's just a wash up close. It's a beautiful piece of work, but it's not what, to me, it's not what a goaltender mask should be, you know. Well, I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, decades here. So, I mean, the process, you go from, a, a, you know, a, an artist sort of concept and, uh, and a manual world to where we are now. That's quite a stretch, isn't it? Yeah, well, it started with... Uh, Rutherford in Detroit when he was with Pittsburgh uh, that was my first mask I did two masks were my first NHL mask one was John Garrett when he played for Portland Buckaroos and the other was Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh and they both worked with me at the Orwalton sports camp and I was making masks for kids there and they decided to try one of my mask seats so Rutherford was in Pittsburgh he had been wearing a totally red mask from the Hamilton Red Wings era, a Lefty Wilson mask. He had two versions of it. And then when he got traded to Pittsburgh, they painted it white, and I made him a mask. He wanted it to look just like Jockerman's. That was his request. So I, I didn't have my own design then. So I did the Higgins, the Ernie Higgins style uh, for him in, in Pittsburgh and painted it a powder blue color. Now, when he got traded back to Detroit, I had a day. I picked it up at the flower shop of the then skyline hotel the night before uh painted the mask white uh and i was putting starting to put some colored straps the the masks were attached with leather straps and elastic and buckles then and i 
I was making some colored straps to add some color to the mast. And when I looked at Rutherford's all white with just red straps, it looked very plain. I went, I don't like this. So I, I took, at the time, they had a, a product called, um, um, it was Electroset uh, film that you could get for doing illustrations. And I cut out a couple of, of wings and stuck them over the eyes and held it up at the end of my parents' garage where I was making them. And I went, that looks pretty good. So I'll, I'll try it. So I put the wings on it uh, by hand then and uh, brought it the next morning. And he didn't say anything to me, but I heard that he didn't like it initially because he didn't want to draw attention to himself coming back to Detroit. Well, he wore it because he had no other choice and everyone liked it. And it sort of gained recognition. And that was the first of my painted designs. And then I did um, Dunk Wilson and Doug Favell's in Toronto. I did, then I shortly after I created my own design, the Wayne Thomas uh, configuration with the rounded edge triangles as, as the ventilation holes and uh, did Wayne Thomas's and then I did Phil Mears and it just kind of mushroomed from there until the status of a lot of goalies getting fluke injuries um, with eye injuries and so on and they were starting to go to a cage and uh, Dave Dryden who was a big innovator in equipment he always wanted to modify his equipment to to make it lighter and at the time i as well as doing mass was working for cooper as their pro rep and dave came in one day and i happened to be in the design department he had the front half of a helmet and a back piece from a mask because he made his own actually uh, as well and a cage that he had kind of cobbled together on the front similar to an hm30 the, the cat's eye cage and so he came to them and he said i want a mask that fits like a fiberglass mask that'll give me the eye protection of the cage and they said oh no and with a back piece and they said oh no it has to be a helmet and so they said we won't we won't do that i said dave i'll design that so i designed it and i did one for him and one for ken and then i streamlined it and uh gradually evolved so that it covered the whole head with a back piece as, as a goalie you don't look straight ahead you don't look straight down to the ice you your head is at like a 30 degree angle and so you're you need that flexibility in the back of your your head for it to be comfortable and uh, uh that's the way i designed it and it, it had a sweatband inside a chin piece that was both a sling and a suspension and uh, everything I always did was custom made. I'd start with a mold of the guy's face. So in each case, I'd form the shape of where the foam was going to go, where the sweatband would go. And so when the foam's put in it, it just fits like a glove. So that's, that's another reason why a lot of these guys are getting concussions and getting hurt wearing these masks now that like the mask, most of what's used in the NHL now is made in China. CCM and, and Bauer are made in China. They're not custom made. You can see in different guys' uh, configurations, they're either too small or too big, depending on, on the mask. And so you get a combination of compression cuts and um, cuts because they, 
you're forcing the mask into their head rather than absorbing the shock uniformly the way I designed it. And then you got other guys that make masks that are nothing but copies of other guys' masks uh, that aren't made for these guys' faces because it takes a lot of work to hand make one each time. And so for the same reason these other ones don't work, the ones that are just made from everybody else's shells don't work either. Hey, Greg, are you surprised that uh, baseball has adopted kind of goalie masks for catchers? Well, I did that actually originally. I was the guy that did it originally with uh, Buck Martinez. I took a mold of his and made him, was making him a mask, and then he is, he got that knee injury and it ended his career. And then I, um, Charlie O'Brien expressed an interest in wanting to, to, try that same concept so they i made a um, mask for him they took it to new york to see what it would take to approve it and it had nothing to do with safety it had to do with money and so i did those two and then i did one for um gary carter the expos commissioned me to do one for him when when the uh when he was inducted into cooperstown but again what they're wearing there is is a one-size-fits-all version of what I did. Uh, I like the idea because it, it's a much more comfortable thing to wear. And my idea was that you wouldn't have to throw it off, you know, to look up at a, a, a fly ball, like a pop fly. But they do it anyways, out of force of habit, a lot of them. I wish we had more time. I'm sorry to cut you off there. Uh, That's okay. It's a fascinating conversation. I mean, you must have had an, an interesting battle with trademarks and all of that stuff, right? Yes. I could do a whole other show on <laughs> the battle I've had with the NHL. So that's a whole other story. I'll we'll, we'll, have, <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have you back for that one. Greg, thanks very much. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thanks, Barry. Thanks. Bye. Greg Harrison. Goalie mask, uh, a pioneer, I'm going to say, inspired by the Terry Sachek mask. And if, and if you're too young, look at a picture. It's it's a, a startling mask, to say the very least. And and I guess in, in history, uh, the third mask ever worn by an NHL goaltender, uh, and that goes way back. You know, obviously Jacques Plan, and then uh, goes back even further uh, in, in an emergency situation. If you're an experienced real estate agent looking for comprehensive value and a distinct advantage, contact Charles Park Managing Broker Remax West Realty Brokerage, offering state-of-the-art technologies with exclusive coaching and mentoring. For a confidential interview, call Charles at 647-292-8886 or email charles at remaxwest.net. Master your game strategy with Fox 40 coaching boards available for basketball, hockey, football, and more. Use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order. Go to fox40shop.com. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Yes Guy, the radio show, Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website, braleyadvisors.com. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Now, from the F1 and Indy Car Department at TSN headquarters, Tim Haraney is here. Tim, welcome. How are you? Hey, Jim. How are you? 
Good, good. I'm just excited to talk to you. I've talked to you many times before on the air, but but never really about yourself. We've talked about the, the, the things that you cover. I mean, you are an, an ex-driver. Uh, and, I mean, that's the ultimate in, in expertise when you're covering the sport that you participated in. What was it like to drive one of those cars? Uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, it's probably one of the uh, – it's definitely the coolest thing I've ever uh, done <laughs> in terms of, like uh, – sporting in, in competition. I mean, I used to play a lot of sports when I was a kid, but um, I, my, my main passion was always for racing and, you know, go-karting and uh, stuff of that nature. So that's kind of like where I sort of got my beginnings was that when I was really young um, was with, was with go-karting. And then like with, with all racing, you kind of move up the racing ladder, so to speak. And you know, once you kind of get to to the top, I mean, those in my case, it was Champ Car Atlantics, uh, Champ Car, so IndyCar now branded as IndyCar. Um, I mean, those cars were ridiculously fast. Um, the amount of information that's kind of coming at you all at once—it's like drinking through a fire hose the first time you do it, and you just kind of have to readjust how you approach. Uh, your driving and how uh, you approach each session because when you first start off things are very fast and very fast and you have to find ways of kind of uh, slowing that down slowing down the amount of information that you're kind of taking in so you're not overwhelming yourself and end up crashing the car or something like that Um, so yeah driving uh, driving those cars were absolutely incredible and it's kind of like I've gotten to drive supercars. I've gotten to drive LaFerraris. I've gotten to drive, um, you know, Lamborghinis, uh, you, you name it. And nothing will ever get close to uh, to a formula car, to an open-wheel racing car, ever, ever. Tim, I know kids who grow up wanting to play hockey, it's an incredible investment for parents. Uh, for your, your dream, your passion to become a mm-hmm. professional race car driver, was it a, a, an incredibly onerous expensive thing for your parents um you know that's a great question i mean it's uh it wasn't it wasn't i mean i don't come from um a a lot of money uh so i grew up uh in peterborough well actually technically i grew up in Keene, which is located outside of peterborough uh it's a small little village and that's where i that's where i come from it's sort of like a farming community at uh, is what it is and yeah, starting starting there, I I would uh, you know drive go karts and stuff with with my dad. You know we would we would crew the car like the carts. Uh, you know me and my uncles, um, and that's I had family support for sure on that end. But then you know I was a uh, mechanic when I was in in my teens down in Shannonville working at Bridgestone Racing Academy, and I would uh, work on these race cars. Um, and at the end of the day, I'd get to test them. So I'd just get to drive around in them and they weren't very fast. They had like, I think they were like 70 horsepower Pinto engines at this racing school that I was working at. And, um, from there I got talent spotted. So what that means is there was a team in, uh, formula Ford and formula Ford was, uh, a really big, um, Canadian, uh, sort of grassroots level open wheel type of formula racing and I got a talent spotted by this team that competed in formula Ford and um, they asked me to come and do a test so I went and did a test uh, I, I did well 
so they threw a contract in front of me where there were some stipulations. Like I had to lose weight at that time. I was, I was overweight because I'd just given up on trying to um, reach this dream of mine because we'd never had money. So I, I actually put on like 80 or 90 pounds. So I was almost like two, I was around 285. So there was like things in this contract, like I had to lose weight. Like I had to lose a lot of weight. I had to lose it quickly. I had to get in shape. It took me, uh, you know, it took me a long time to do it, um, to get ready for the season. And then the other part of it was I had to find a bit of budget. And I was fortunate enough that I learned how to sell sponsorships at a very young age that when around this time, I'm about 18 years old, I just go around Peterborough and I start, um, talking to uh, companies in and around Peterborough of, you know, business to consumer opportunities in Formula Ford, business to business opportunities in Formula Ford. And I would create sales decks and I would go to a printing shop and I'd get all these sales decks made up. And then luckily there was a company called Century 21 in Peterborough and they took an interest in what we were doing and they came on board and they gave us some sponsorship money so I could do the full season of formula Ford. Um, and then I went on to do really well in that championship. I rookie of the year finished second in the championship and uh, they graduated me up into the pro formula Ford championship, which was a series that raced all across Canada. And that was for the next season. And again, your budgets go up. So I had to find more sponsorship. I had to get in better shape because the cars were a little bit faster and uh, we managed to scrape together enough budget to go and do uh, that championship. We didn't do well that season. We had a lot of mechanical DNF. So I kind of thought that, you know, hey, I think my, my racing career might be kind of coming to an end here. You know, I, until I went to Trois-Rivières to, to do a Formula Ford championship race. And I got talent spotted again, but this time by a um, Champ Car Atlantic team that was fielding a race car in a brand new series called Formula Renault. And Formula Renault was a feeder system into Formula One. At that time, Renault had a driver development ladder system and they would take their drivers from Formula Renault and they'd put them through the ladder system and into Formula One. So I, I went to Trois-Rivières, did the race, and the team owner came up to me and he was like, hey, you know, you did a really good job out there. I liked what I saw. I do want to come do a test. So I got offered a test. Uh, flew to California, did the test with the team, uh, did really well. But again, fitness was a problem. I had to get my fitness back up because I think I, I only, I was like so tired, Perry, after like an hour in a, in a formula car. Like I was exhausted. My neck felt like it was going to fall off. My arms were dead. My legs were tired. Core was gone. So it was, I had to get, get the fitness, uh, even up to another level. And then also at the same time had to find a tiny bit more sponsorship because this team had some sponsorship, which was great. I mean, at that time, it's very difficult to get sponsorships and the team had some and they, um, they believed in me and my talent. And so I only had to go out and find a little bit more. So again, you know, redo your sales decks, figure it out, uh, knock on doors. And at this time, you know, you're sending emails because emails just started you know, coming online and um yeah from there you know was able to scrap together some money we didn't have like all of the budget so that's when like my family had to kick in some budget and it was a lot it was a lot for them to sacrifice some of their you know retirement 
savings so I could go and, and chase down this dream. But I was I honestly am very fortunate that I had a family that really believed in me and uh, believed in what I could do um, because, you know, they saw how hard I was working. They saw how much weight I had to lose. They saw how fit I was getting. They saw like that instead of like going to university and there's nothing against going to school or anything like that, actually encouraging people to do that. I never, I never did it because I chased, you know, after race cars. Um, but I, I was learning, right. I was, I, that was like a hard lesson of school for myself, but I was learning a lot. And, uh, and yeah, so went and got into this championship. So now I was a part of this Formula One ladder system. I think there was only me and there was a handful of Canadians that were a part of it. And we were racing against people from like all over the world. Like it, you name it, we were racing against these people. And the main difference I noticed that between like, the main difference that I noticed between racing against uh, Canadians in the Canadian Formula Four championship and racing against everyone else from around the world in Formula Renault is a level of aggression it just went to another level and the drivers were extremely aggressive and the racing was, was angry sometimes. Like it was like very, very, very aggressive. So you had to like, you had to step up to that challenge. You couldn't get intimidated. You had to push back. And at some points you had to be a little dirty because that's just the way, it, that's just the way it was. Everybody's fighting for only a few seats, you know, in this program. So we had to, we had to do what we had to do. And, did did pretty good in that championship actually. Well, I should say did pretty good. Like my first race was an absolute disaster because I actually I didn't get to test the car like leading into the first race of the season, which is like a huge no-no in racing. But the problem is we just didn't have the budget. Like we didn't have budget to like jump in there and start testing. So I had to like get into the race stone cold and qualified like I think it was like dead last or second last I qualified it was just a mess um but I was able to like piece together a good race and and the thing with my first race was and I was told by the whole team driver coaches engineers is just finish the race you always you always 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 as a racing driver when you get into a new series or you get into a new car you just want to finish the race because you accumulate so much information as you go through the race, like what does the car do when the tires get old? What does it do when it starts to run out of fuel? How does it handle? How do I need to drive it differently? What do I need to change? How does my style need to change to, um, to make this car fast as it's evolving throughout a race? So there's just so much that goes into that. And I learned a lot, which is great. I kind of treated it as a test session anyways. And um, from there, I just kept getting better and better and better every single weekend and they invited me to come back for another season. I did even better. I think I finished, might have finished like top five or top 10 in that championship. Um, but then the budget required to like move up, like to go to, I think it was like Formula Renault V8, which would then put you into Formula One after that. It was, it was ridiculous. Like the amount of money that, that they were looking for was just way too much. We couldn't afford it. Um, but the team that I was with was also fielding a champ car Atlantic car. And they asked me to come and drive that car because they had sponsorship for it. So I did that. And that car was incredible. That was one of the fastest cars ever. Like it was, oh my God, the fitness that was required to drive that thing was absolutely, I've, I've never trained so hard in my life. I was training 40 hours a week doing my own PR and also looking for a bit more sponsorship so we could do a full season. Um, after Atlantics, I moved over to Europe. I got a job offer, uh, to race in the FIA GT championship, which is uh, closed wheel cars. Um, and we were racing 
uh, in all around Europe. And, you know, that was a, that was a crazy experience because I got the race of like all the big tracks that formula one goes to and, uh, live in Europe. I mean, it wasn't easy. We didn't have like a lot of money to live in Europe, to be perfectly honest with you. And, um, you know, it was a lot of like counting my pennies and stuff like that. And some days not being able to eat and, and, you know, and, sleeping in the back of like uh, pickup trucks and like sleeping in the back of tractor trailers to try and get from like race to race to race because we couldn't afford hotel rooms. Uh, we couldn't afford rental cars. So we just kind of did the best we could to make ends meet and compete in this, in this championship. So yeah, that's kind of where everything sort of, I don't want to say ended, but we ran out of sponsorship at the time and the team ran out of sponsorship and then the recession hit and everything kind of just happened all at once. And my, that's kind of like how my career sort of just stalled out. It wasn't that I wanted to stop. It's just that all of these factors that just happened all at once, just kind of sunk my career really when it was kind of going in a really positive direction. And it was so hard to get it back on track. I just, it's it, it, the, the recession and all that stuff just, affected it so much that it was you know and by that time when you know got kind of got out of recession it, i was starting to get a bit too old for like open wheel racing and you know chasing down that dream of like either racing in like indycar or formula one um and so i looked at going into another direction and you know doing like 24 hours of lamar doing endurance racing and even that you know required budget and going out and finding budget and so yeah, you know, a long story, really long story, Perry. I mean, that's that's that that's that's pretty much all of it. I mean, like, there's other things along the way for sure, but um, you know, those are the, those are the moments that kind of stick out to me the most, and how like you know, if my family kind of wasn't there to lend a hand, like I don't know, I don't think I would be where I am today. That's for sure. Tim, you know, I wish we had more time. We'll, we'll get part two in a couple of weeks, that's for sure, because there's plenty <laughs> to talk to you about. Thanks very much for stopping by. <laughs> hey, not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll talk in a couple of weeks. Thanks. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor, Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website, braleyadvisors.com. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most, financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. And stay safe and stay heard with a Fox 40 electronic whistle producing 100 decibels at the push of a button. The electronic whistle is perfect to bring along for any outdoor activity. Don't forget to use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order at fox40shop.com. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Yes, Guy, the radio show, Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko with you. Segment number three, homeowners are first-time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG Safebridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom-tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean or give him a call at 416-885-1761. We are pleased to have with us now Caleb Delgren, a former member of the Humboldt Broncos, and he did survive the, the bus tragedy from April 6, 2018. And this, Caleb, well, first of all, welcome aboard. This is a story not only of, of that event, but throughout the course of your life, resiliency is written all over your life story. How would you explain that? Thank you so much for having me on here. Appreciate it. Well, 
Long story short, I've had to be resilient most of my life. And at the age of four, I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. That was my first kind of test of being resilient. As a young child, being diagnosed with a disease that has dye in it is obviously very scary. And uh, I had to find the positives over negatives in that disease. And at the first couple of months, it was very, very difficult for not just me, but for my family. And once I learned that I needed needles administered through uh, insulin, administered through needles to live, uh, that was when it all kind of clicked. I had to find that positive over negative in my life. Well, Caleb, I want to congratulate, <coughs> congratulate you on the book. There's a lot in it beyond just the uh, the accident. Um, what was the process like, and, and why did you decide to donate a, a portion of, of the, the sales from the book to uh, the uh, Stars Ambulance Relief, which is the, the company that basically was involved in, in the emergency relief of, of following the accident? Thank you so much for your kind words. Appreciate it. And uh, for me, it was truly uh, emotionally lightening and cathartic throughout the process. I had a co-author, Dan Robson, who helped me write the book, too. And we worked really collaboratively, and I was really loved how I was able to get my creativity coming through the pages and then also have Dan's expertise of how to actually formulate the book and uh, really make it special and talk about various topics that I want to talk about, such as resilience, hope, family, community, uh, mental health, emotional health, uh, brain injury awareness, diabetes, so many topics, even grief and death. But uh, for me, the big thing was really helping others throughout the book. And I wanted to donate all my proceeds to STARS Air Ambulance because they help save lives on April 6, 2018. But they also help save lives every single day. I think there's nothing more viable as a second chance at life. And to be working with STARS collaboratively and having their support on this book as well has been truly amazing. And I could be more grateful. But uh, throughout the whole process, I'd say that I found strength in being vulnerable too. And uh, normally as a hockey player, you'd say strength to be physically tough, mentally tough. But for me, I found it being vulnerable and really opening myself up to the world and hopefully helping others throughout my trials and tribulations throughout life. You know, that, that's an interesting thing you've said there. So by by admitting your, your vulnerability, that, that that's part of your process, right? Take us through that. Yeah. So when I was... Even I think healing in general involves being vulnerable with yourself and being self-aware and emotionally intelligent because if you're unable to really get down to the root of the problem or what is causing you um, the issues in your life, you'll never really be able to heal. And for me, I came face-to-face with that very early on, and I really had wanted to heal. I had survivor's guilt when I was in the hospital, uh, but the big thing for me was trying to change my mindset to uh, focus on things I could control and also put myself in the shoes of those who aren't here. And if I was not here, how would I want the survivors to live their life? And so I'd want them to pursue their dreams and passions, to take risks, to love hardly, to make this world a better place. So for me, that was one of the big things was being vulnerable and opening myself up to the entire world. And once you write it down, it's out there forever. And so for me, there's strength in that I find. And um, every word I put into the book, I wanted to make sure I'd be okay with it, not just five years down the road, but rest of my life so um it's it was a lot for sure but it was truly cathartic in the end and i have i'd say officially healed from everything i've gone through up through my life up to that point at the end of the book caleb one of the effects of the accident for you is you suffered you know brain trauma and you don't even have it reading the book you don't have any memory of the accident do you almost feel like you know that's a good thing because it was such a horrific thing that's a great question, and I've thought about that multiple times, too. 
and even the doctor said that when I do return to the scene uh, of the crash, that there's a possibility I could remember it forever. Uh, I could get my memories back, but I still have returned. I haven't got my memories back. And I don't know if it's a good thing or negative thing. To be honest, I'm indifferent. If I live without never knowing, then that's okay. But if I do find out and get my thoughts and memories back from that day, then I am completely okay with that too because I am curious like what I was doing on the scene, who I was helping, um, what others were doing, and kind of my thoughts throughout the whole process. But if it does happen, then it's something I have to focus on and uh, try to focus on things I can control. And if it doesn't happen, that's okay too. And either way, I'd be okay. There's so many people in the hockey community that, that embraced you, embraced the survivors, just embraced the whole tragedy. And one of the people that reached out to you was Joe Sackett, who was your idol growing up. What was that like? It was truly life-changing. And uh, for me, when you meet like Joe Sackett, Kelly Wickenheiser, people who you look up to and admire is just, it's, yeah, it, it changes your life. And especially having somebody who's gone through something similar and hearing their experience throughout it and how they handled it and try to make the most of that situation was really, really informative for me and something that I clung on to and wanted to embrace throughout my life. So um, to meet those people and have even the world just like post sticks for Humboldt or sending tweets or messages or wearing green, it honestly was life-changing and it helped me heal. It honestly helped me heal tremendously to have people in your corner and knowing that they want to support you in any aspect. Caleb, now now you're studying to be a chiropractor. Take us through your interest in that and, and what you want to achieve. Yeah, so I always since I was 13 years old, I wanted to be a chiropractor. I had back pain growing up. And uh, as a hockey player, I tried every modality other than chiropractic. And then finally someone was like, just try chiro. And I was like, what is that? And I went to my chiropractor when I was 13, and I, my whole perception switched, and my back pain went away, and uh, life was a lot easier for me playing sports. So... Um, I attributed that to chiropractor, and so I wanted to get an education, scholarship, go play pro overseas, and then be a chiropractor. So now it's a little bit of a fast track. Never was able to play pro overseas due to my brain injury, but uh, that's completely okay. We're in chiropractic school now and almost done year one. Future goals would be to hopefully work with different populations. I really love uh, various groups, and I think for me, I'd like to go over to World Spine Care and volunteer in a third world country for a couple months. Then after that, potentially go overseas, live life, little my uh, pro life dreams, uh, but just be a chiropractor instead, and then come back, settle down somewhere, maybe North America, and open up my own practice. Well, that's an interesting way to look at life and things that you want to do. And it's, uh, again, was this all part of you, or was this a combination of what the accident, you know, forced you to just look at life in a different way? To be honest, I think I had this mindset before the crash and I was always a little bit different and always really positive. And uh, I, I'd say the crash has definitely helped me mold that mindset and really coming to fruition with it of how I do want to continue living life to the fullest and to treat everybody how I want to be treated or respected with or with equity. And I think there's so many different aspects to me that make me as a person. And I've always been super reflective and introspective too, which I think is a great quality to have given through difficult circumstances because you're really able to learn from them and you're also able to reflect on yourself and see how you can become a better person. So I challenge you to be 1% better every day 
as a person, and I hope I continue to do that for the rest of my life. You know, Caleb, you're talking about life experiences here, and, and, but you have sort of like a hockey player analysis. Uh, you know, in a hockey game, somebody scores a goal on your team, and you, you can't dwell on the goal. you got to move on and, and find a way to get it back. And, and really, that describes you as a kid going back to the age of four, right? For sure. And I think sports has such a big play in mental performance. And I think, honestly, like especially at the highest levels, the difference is the mental there's like everybody can shoot and pass everybody can skate the higher levels you get up it's more the mental aspect of hockey and i've had mental coaches since i was i think 10 or maybe 11 and i think that was one of the big things for me and made me uh separate me from others was just that when we did get scored i didn't get down it was like hey we gotta keep going and it wasn't to get too high or too low it was just stay even keel and um i think that was one of the big things that helped me throughout my career and I'm sure it's helped lots of other people throughout their careers too. Caleb, I want to thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Um, and on the way out, do you have a message for anybody? Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'd say the last message would just be to follow your passions and dreams. My passion is to give back and help other people. So I'm doing that through various ways, such as community service, uh, donating all my book proceeds, uh, dye beauties, and doing speeches. And even my profession, too, as a chiropractor, I'll be able to help people every single day and put a smile on their face. And so for me, that's so fulfilling. And that's my passion and dream. And so I think for other people, just to follow their passions and dreams, because as I've learned and lots of people have learned, life can change in an instant. And to always make the most of every day we have on this earth. Caleb, thanks again. Take care, buddy. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a great time. All right. Uh, homeowners are first-time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG SafeBridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom-tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean or give him a call at 416-885-1761. Be prepared on the ice with the Fox 40 hockey products like the Fox 40 Call and the Fox 40 Super 4 CMG. Use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order. Go to fox40shop.com. This is YESGUY, the radio show on TSN 1050. YESGUY, no guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the officially sanctioned Yes Guy radio show edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. Lickety split. We're out of time. Go ahead, sir. The thing that stands out the most in the first round of the NHL playoffs is all these penalties. Oh, yeah, I know. It's it's kind of tough to watch at times, but, you know, when they don't call them, people say, why don't you call the book? And now they're calling the book and. I just don't think you can win. It's such a it's such a garage sale of activity out there that no matter which way you call that game, somebody's going to be upset. So hopefully it doesn't decide a series. Yes, guy, no guy. Number one from here. You love draft lotteries. No, I hate draft lotteries. They're boring. Is that is that a good enough answer? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they're ridiculous. It's just they keep changing the criteria, and certain teams get breaks and certain teams don't, and it's just I, I don't like it at all either. So that's a firm no guy. Go ahead, sir. Seeing that Terry Sawchuk mask in the Hockey Hall of Fame is scary. It's frightening. That is a, I mean, I have to say, that is a, the, the weirdest mask you're ever going to see. So that's a yes guy, even as a kid. When you saw it, you went, what is that? Because it just has a, an ominous look about it, which is unfortunate because the man died at a young age. But it's it just, it's weird. So yes, guy, to that. Um, 
Yes, guy, no guy. You've always wanted to race cars. No, guy. I actually don't enjoy driving that much, even though I write about it. So that's a that's a no guy. Really? A little phobia there? Fast cars, fast women, don't like either one of them. Okay, guy. Didn't need to go down that road. Go <laughs> ahead, sir. <laughs> Beyond just the Terry Sawchuk mask, the other frightening mask is the one worn by Jason on Friday the 13th. That's comical, guy. I hate to say it, but that that's just so overexposed that it, that it is now comical. So on that note, I want to thank our guest, the, the original mask maker, Greg Harrison, Tim Harini from the auto department at TSN headquarters, and Caleb Dahlgren. The book, by the way, is Crossroads. Uh, it's a fascinating read and a guy who really comes up with a solution really quick. It's that hockey mentality that, that he applied to life, even as a kid at the age of four. Hope you enjoyed episode 75 of Yes Guy. Hope you come back next week for episode number 76. Oh, Yes Guy.